The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food health and agriculture, and find food truth. And today on Food Sleuth Radio, I'm really honored to have the president and chairman and CEO, that's Y-O, of Stonyfield Farm, the world's leading organic yogurt producer, Mr. Gary Hirschberg. Gary, hi and welcome. Thanks, Melinda. Glad to be with you. You know, I noticed that in addition to your role as leader of Stonyfield Farm, you also published a book called Stirring It Up, How to Make Money and Save the World. And it brought to mind presentations that I've gone to about this triple bottom line. And I think that you should be commended in addressing, you know, your company addresses the social, environmental, and financial mission. And I, I want to commend you for that. Well, thank you. I, mean, I think probably it uh, doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that we, unless business uh, addresses the solutions to many of the uh, social and environmental problems that we face, there's just you know we're, we're just not going to get anywhere. And and in fact, what we've proven over 27 years here at Stonyfield is that our focus on things like reducing our carbon footprint, organics, and so forth have not only have lasting and meaningful environmental impacts, positive. But they've also saved or made us money. So um, I think it's it's important to sort of banish this myth that doing right by the planet or right by people's health means that you somehow compromise your bottom line. And speaking of myths, the myth that I hear most often is that organic's very nice, but we're not going to feed the world with it. How do you respond (laughs) to that? Well, actually, I respond with data and probably more data than you want to want to hear on this on this show but you know we buy probably close to 60 different commodities here at Stonyfield obviously being a yogurt company that's our biggest ingredient is milk but of course we buy lots and lots of fruit and flavorings sweeteners and so forth and i can tell you that without any exception and we we've, we've been at this now for decades the yields not only have the in the conversion from or conventional to organic have our farmers' inputs gone down, and obviously they have. They use less. They don't use any chemicals, of course. They don't. They use less fertilizer and inputs. But since they're building their topsoils, their nutrient requirements are actually being reduced over time because they're literally improving the quality of the soil. But on top of that, their yields have come up. Hmm. We have dairy farmers who can tell me point blank that uh, they're getting more milk from their cows. They're getting more grain, more feed out of their soil or better grass or what have you. But we're also seeing that with bananas and, you know, you name the crop, sugar. And in fact, in Brazil, where we get our organic sugar, the yields are up 15% over what they were when the very same farmers were conventional. And on top of that, they've brought back almost 200 species of birds and mammals, uh, improved the topsoil so that the carbon content is better than it was or, or nearly as good as it was um, better than it's been ever as agriculture, but nearly as good as it was when it was native forest. And, of course, the workers haven't been exposed to pesticides and so on. So, as you said in the premise of your question, this is a myth that, to, first of all, that, that organic cannot produce higher yields. It's also There's also a myth that chemical agriculture is sustainable. It's not. We're 
depleting soils. We're poisoning and toxifying our air, water, and soil, and we're making ourselves sicker. So this isn't really a question when it comes to organics of, you know, right or wrong. It's, it's, it's very simple. It's practically the right thing to be doing. Absolutely. And I have to ask you, how did you get into this? We aren't born being organic advocates. How did you become aware of the benefits of organic food and farming and really get on the wagon, I guess you could say, to sure. moving this company forward? I'm a child of the 60s. I'm, I'm in my mid-50s, but I grew up in the 60s, and of course that was the question authority period. And, That's right. And I, in fact, wound up uh, studying climate change back in the early 70s in college, and it didn't take uh, long to go down the climate road to realize that not only were we absolutely warming the planet well beyond anything in the ice core records that go back 600,000 years, anything that we've ever seen, but also that we're toxifying as a result, that climate change and CO2 emissions is just one, yet another, but only one of countless examples of our unconscious behaviors resulting in serious depletions of topsoils, as I mentioned before, serious toxification, uh, species declines, and so forth, as well as rising cancer rates that we're seeing across the board. So I kind of got religion, if you will. In in college, I was, again, uh, Silent Spring had been out about a decade by then. and But then after college, I went to work at an ecological research institute where we were studying the actual scientific basis for organics. In other words, what are the inputs versus yields? And what are the measurable and tangible improvements one can expect or not expect from focusing on topsoils, and the data was overwhelming. I mean, we were growing food in a solar greenhouse that was about 3,500 square feet in the middle of winter. On Cape Cod, Mass, we had bananas, figs, papayas, bees, birds, and butterflies flying around. And the yields from that, the agriculture under that plastic, were comparable to the highest yielding ecosystems in the world. And the food was delicious on top of all that. Right, right. So uh, I got it pretty early and pretty young, but but unfortunately in in our institute we were studying, uh, we were dependent very much on grant research on on, on largesse or philanthropy, and you know we really didn't have a business model. And so the inspiration for starting Stonyfield with our seven cow organic farming school back in '83 was let's show the world that we can that this is not only ecologically correct, but that we can make money too. Well, we have a lot of propaganda working against us. And we hear these messages that we have to go with biotechnology if we're going to fight climate change or that we're going to have to use biotechnology to feed these ever-increasing numbers of, of our population. And yet your yields are proving otherwise. And I wonder, do you have any predictions about the future of organic food and farming? We're up against some tremendous giants who are really working against these principles. Yeah, and we always have. I mean, if you had told me in 1983 that we were going to have a $25 billion industry in organic foods, I would have thought you needed to uh, get your head examined. But in fact, that is what's happened. Organics, even in the recession last year, grew double digits when food overall food sales actually shrunk or stayed flat. So we have ourselves a very, net today, versus a quarter century ago when we got started, we have a very compelling economic argument. And, and also, it doesn't take too many years going forward 
at 15 to 20% annual growth before we'll be talking about $100 billion worth of commerce. So we're we're building. But as you say, we're, we're playing catch-up to some very powerful and established economic interests who don't see how they can be making money with organics and who have uh, want to keep making money with the status quo. And, you know, if I could just slightly step out of agriculture for a second, I mean, that, that's kind of the story of what we saw in the Gulf this summer. Right. This notion, the, the myth that we can continue to extract from the earth and not worry about these sort of ecological consequences smacked us right in the face. And I think when it comes to organics, whether it's pesticides, chemical fertilizers, species depletion, climate, or, as you mentioned, genetically modified, I think what we need to do is step back as a society and as, as individuals, as shoppers, and say, look, there's a link between all of these different problems. And the link is that we tend to be short-term in our thinking and we tend to ignore these externalities, these very real consequences of our economic behavior. And so my hope is that while we probably can't mount, we being the organic movement, cannot probably mount the tens of millions of dollars needed to fight the lobbyists and the special interests in the near term. I think eventually we'll get there. I think we do have common sense on our side. I think we do have health trends on our side. You know, the president's cancer report this summer showed us that now 41% of Americans, almost half of Americans are going to have a cancer exposure or experience in their lifetime. That's just, that's criminal. So therefore, we have, I think, public opinion in our favor. And, and so what I think we need to do is, while we can't mount the dollars, I think what we need to do is share the information, just as you're doing on this show. And but, I think w- whether you're looking at the obesity trends or the cancer trends, I think we all can see, and, and we certainly saw it exposed in Food, Inc., that we are what we eat, and we really do need to eat defensively and consciously because literally, um, you know, eating wrong can make us, it can and will make us sick. I want to go back to something you said, and that was you mentioned the President's Cancer Panel Report. And I want to remind our listeners that they can go online. You can do a simple Google search for simply the President's Cancer Panel Report, and there are some specific recommendations. And without coming out and saying choose organic foods specifically, the recommendations are to choose foods that have not been contaminated with pesticides, antibiotics, hormones, and have really not been raised in the conventional chemical manner. So you can absolutely tell people that we now have a wonderful new scientific document that goes beyond, as you say, the obesity issue and looking at other illnesses, chronic diseases that are extreme. They're not going to kill us overnight, but they kill us slowly and painfully. And I think organic agriculture is one of our ways out. I have to ask you well, know, and I, if I could just yeah. ju- jump in there too, Melinda. Well, well, obviously health and nutrition is the primary reason that people buy organics. It's interesting that through most of my career, the number one reason for people to choose organics has been uh, having children. Yes. Uh, and the number two reason was having what's euphemistically known as a health event. In other words, <laughs> somebody, either you getting sick or somebody in your life getting sick. And now what used to be number two, the health event, is now number one. Right. And so while health, but that said, while health and wellness and protecting your family is probably the number one motivation for people to go to organics, we also should recognize that organics is incredibly positive for climate, reversing climate change by trapping carbon 
by reducing the outflow of dollars, its economic development, by reducing the outflow of dollars for chemical fertilizers and other imported inputs. It's important for keeping family farmers on the land. All 1,850 organic dairy farmers who we use, all of them are making money right now, whereas none of their conventional counterparts are. So there's a lot of other good being done here. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with the CEO, that's Y-O, of Stonyfield Farm, Gary Hirschberg. He is the chairman, president, and CEO of the world's leading organic yogurt producer. And he's also the author of a book titled Stirring It Up, How to Make Money and Save the World. And Gary, you are certainly on the way to doing that. You know, you mentioned children, and this really gets to another myth of organics, and that is that organics is all well and good for those who have money. And yet if you look at the statistics of who really is purchasing organic, it's not just those who have a lot of extra money to spend. It's people who do put children and their families first. So populations who you might not think would be spending more or a greater percentage of their budget on food actually are because they make their priority their children. Well, that's true, and and there's also the fact that while we may not pay for cheap food at the cash register, we're paying for it sooner or later. Absolutely. Um, You know, we're paying for it with our health. We're paying for it with rising health care costs and unsustainable health care costs. We're paying for it with decline of ecosystems and species and so forth. So there's, again, the myth of cheapness is just that it's actually quite expensive, and I think on a life cycle basis, our uh, conventional eating habits are, are simply not sustainable because they're highly expensive. Mm-hmm. You were featured in the film Food, Inc., and I interviewed the producer and director of Food, Inc. several months ago. And it was very interesting. You know, I guess I keep bringing up this whole propaganda issue, but I had been interviewing another gentleman who didn't want to call Food, Inc. a documentary. He wanted to call it a movie, and I thought, well, that's it. I've just got to have Robbie Kenner on then, and he can talk about his film. And you were highlighted in that film, and people took you to task because they thought, what are you doing doing business with Walmart? And I loved your response. My response is generally this, that if you're very serious about everything we've talked about in this interview, very serious about the fact that it, you know, we, we can't have children being born with 288 chemicals in their tissue at the time of birth, I'm very serious about the fact that 41% of Americans getting cancer is not acceptable. It's not the hallmark of a, of a civilized world. If we're very serious about reversing climate change, reversing soil depletion, reversing toxification of our water, if you care about any, let alone all of these things, then you have to believe that food everywhere it's grown and everywhere it's sold should be organic. And I just need to tell you that, you know, a lot of people tell me, well, organic is this great idea, but it's just a a fad. And the reality is, and and also that people will say it's not proven. And, And what I need to say is that chemicals are not proven. You know, we, we've been on a chemical diet in agriculture for only 60 or 70 years. And just a little bit prior to that, prior to World War II, all, all food through history was organic. And so this idea that this is something new, it's actually something very, very old mm-hmm. and something that is very natural, whereas it's the chemical, we, you know, the jury is still out, but the data that's coming in is terrible. So, whether it's Walmart or airports or convenience stores or places that probably a lot of my organic purist friends would be horrified to see us selling in, 
Uh, I believe any place nutrition is, is bought or sold, organic should be an option. And frankly, the other argument for Walmart is simply this, that the reason Walmart is growing as it's growing, the reason it is such an economic force, is that there's one heck of a lot of people for whom price is everything. Right. And why should organic remain on, only out of reach, you know, to people on limited or fixed incomes for whom price is everything? Uh, any chance you can get, and, and by the way, Walmart doesn't have the exclusive on this. You're seeing Whole Foods and many others now offering organic at very affordable prices. And in fact, as I mentioned, organic grew last year in the recession, whereas other foods didn't. So the bottom line is, is if you're serious about this stuff, then there's no right or wrong place. Anywhere food is sold, it has to be organic. Talking about the price issue, I, I love to tell the story of my grandmother who was Really, she was an illiterate immigrant when she came to New York, and I remember she was going grocery shopping with my mother one day, and my mother had complained about the price of bananas, and my grandmother said, look at it like medicine. And I think that when we look at food that way, the way Hippocrates taught us to look at food like medicine and to think about, you know, the flip side of this coin is you can invest in preventive medicine, which is good, wholesome food, or you can pay the doctor down the street for medications due to a chronic disease. So I think we have to help people really rethink the way we look at food, and it's the most important thing that we're putting into our bodies three times a day. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. I'm uh, One of the projects that I'm working on right now, we, we started a um, organic and natural fast food restaurant uh, a bunch of years ago, and we've now put one in a hospital in Boston at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, and particularly with the Obama health care, hospitals now more than ever have really got to invest seriously in preventative care. Otherwise, you know, they're just going to go bankrupt. Right. And we know that 78% of disease is impacted by how we eat. So the organic and natural restaurant is called the Stonyfield Cafe that's sitting at uh, the Brigham and Women's in, in Boston. It's just blowing out. Incredible numbers of people are going in there because, again, healthcare workers who spend all day long treating disease, they know all about this stuff. But yet the, yet the food offerings, it gets back to the Walmart point earlier, the, the traditional food offerings in those places have not exactly been known for their health. They're full of fats and sugars and salts, and, and also they're not organic. So, you know, I think we're sitting right now at the sort of end of the pioneering era of bringing organics back into the marketplace, and I think you're going to start to see it now penetrating the mainstream. We're even setting up a Stonyfield Cafe at the uh, U.S. Open Tennis Championships, which start uh, on Monday in New York. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm anxious to see these cafes go nationwide. Every hospital needs them. You know, I started out as a clinical dietitian working in the hospital, and I think if it did nothing else, but it it made me understand the importance of prevention, and it also made me fear institutionalization <laughs> to yeah. a very large extent because of the quality of the food. And it's not just hospitals. It's prisons. It's schools. It's nursing homes. Everyone deserves the best quality food. I think it's well, and, human and, right. and let me say, too, that you know, one thing we don't ever talk about in these discussions is the subsidy that create an, a non-level playing field here. You know, there are no subsidies of organic foods out there, but I'm sure your listeners are well aware there's enormous subsidies of most conventional crops because, again, there's a, a vested infrastructure there working with Congress to protect their interests. So not only are we subsidizing 
making ourselves sick with many of our practices, and I, I know that you've spoken about these on your show with the kinds of practices that lead to obesity and the diabetes epidemic and so forth. But we're doing the same thing with toxification. Mm-hmm. We're underwriting the application and making it cheaper to produce strictly for yield and not for reducing uh, toxins or soil loss or, or some of the other factors that organic solves. So the number one thing we can do to improve, to reduce the cost, the premium of organics, of course, would be to reduce or eliminate those subsidies. But the number one way that we're going to get there is to build the economic power of organic sales. And so at the end of the day, you know, Gandhi had this great line. He said, anyone who thinks they're too small to make a difference has never been in bed with a mosquito. Right. And and that's the way we have to behave. We need to understand that maybe you can't, when you go shopping, maybe you can't fill your basket full of organic stuff. But if you can buy one organic item today, you know, an organic mayonnaise, an organic ketchup, an organic yogurt, imagine that. <laughs> uh, the ripple effect of that, the power of 300 million Americans getting one item cannot begin to be overstated. It's terribly, terribly important. We always say that we can ship our yogurt thousands of miles. It's the last 18 inches that makes all the difference because we sell it one cup at a time. Right. You bring up a really good point. On the one hand, we have the consumer demand, and on the other hand, we have the policymakers in Washington. And I know that those who are involved in policy are looking at the Farm Bill, the 2012 Farm Bill right now and strategizing for it. And I wonder, are there any specific things that you would like to see in that Farm Bill that would benefit organic farming? Well, I think and I'm hopeful that we will see a reduction of subsidies, but more specifically, a set of incentives for carbon sequestration, for trapping and putting carbon into, into soil, which is just it's national security. It's just common sense. It makes good sense. And certainly we've got an administration that understands the long-term impacts of the sequestration, reducing, trapping carbon is going to be the you know the single greatest thing that we can do to uh, reverse climate change. And organics inevitably does that. In other words, if there was a subsidy program that rewarded farmers for uh, improving their soils by putting carbon in, the quickest and best way you can do that is with organic farming. Mm-hmm. And I want to remind our listeners, too, that at the Stonyfield site, you can go to Climate Counts, which is a wonderful component of your website that does an evaluation of different companies to see how, how well they're doing in fighting climate change. Yeah, it's, it, Climate Counts is actually a, a nonprofit that we formed and that, that is housed here at Stonyfield, but it's a, it uses a... Um, wonderfully simple methodology of 22 questions that we uh, apply to every major brand you know of out there. And then it allows consumers to make informed choices in your decision-making about whether company is one brand versus another is sincerely committed to actually being part of the climate solution. So it's a nice little sideline for us. But it all comes back to the power of one here. It really does. Whether you're if your interest is preserving, protecting your family and protecting their health or reversing climate change or say, helping family farmers or keeping dollars in the local economy, it starts and ends with your purchase. That's the most, you know, we vote what once every two or four years for our elected officials, but we vote many, many times a day 
for the kind of food system we want. And I don't, I'm not an organic eco-fascist. I don't think you have to, you know, radically change your diet here. But again, uh, a couple of items here or there it makes a huge difference when you look at the macroeconomics. I think that's a wonderful charge to leave our listeners with, and that is that really, even though sometimes we feel isolated and alone, those food decisions we make are so powerful, and it's it's a really important charge. Is there anything that I neglected to ask you that you want to leave well, our listeners if I, with? There isn't, but I'd, I'd just amplify on that one point by saying that the corporations spend billions of dollars, billions of dollars to figure out what we consumers want. That's how powerful we are. We we consumers think that we're kind of the victims of what's been put out there in the marketplace. But trust me, the size, shape, color, flavor, price of any item, let alone whether it's organic or not, is no accident. It's a result of businesses, whether it's it's Walmart or your local uh, farmer's market, trying to do what the consumer wants. Business exists to meet consumers' needs. So we just need to vote with our dollars. Thank you, Gary. We've been speaking with Gary Hirschberg, who is the chairman, president, and CEO, that's Y-O, of Stonyfield Farm. And I know you're a very busy man, and I'm very grateful for the time that you took to be with us today. I want to also thank our listeners and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Gary, thank you so much for your commitment and your work. My pleasure. My pleasure. Take care.